You're listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. All right, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to John 7. We're going to be looking at 14 through 35. And as always, it's printed in our order of worship. And so you can always look at it there. We've been looking at uh, the book of John. And the life and work of Jesus and his teachings are fascinating. And the book of John, what I love about the book of John is it captures it in such a great way. It calls us to examine Jesus in all his glory on the earth, but also to embrace all the controversy and all the conversations that surrounded the things that he did on earth. See, Jesus only really spent three years, if you think about it, three years ministering uh, to the people here on earth. Yet during most of that time, he did it in a very private way, meaning only in front of a small group of people. But now, now things are changing. We're going to see it in a much more public way. It started with the feeding of the 5,000 that we looked at not too long ago. And so crowds had started to gather around Jesus. He's no longer hidden from the public. He's not hiding anymore. He's not even trying to anymore. Now, more than ever, the crowds and the religious leaders are paying attention. And he's exposing himself. As you know, people are trying to kill him. He's exposing himself in a big way. He's making himself vulnerable. At the same time, he's doing public ministry. And as we said before, some people want him dead. But no one can remain neutral about him. And that's really the discussion that we're going to deal with today. And people around Jesus have a lot of questions. A lot of questions. And we're going to see some of those today. So let's look at our passage for today from John 7, 14 through 35. It says, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple. This is the temple in Jerusalem. Went up to the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled and saying, How is this that a man uh, has this kind of learning when he has never studied? And Jesus answered him, My teaching is not mine, but the one who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or if I'm speaking from my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd said, You have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work. And you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law may be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's body whole and well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. We're going to stop right there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, uh, show us what you'd have to see about your son, his relationship to you, and why he came to earth in the first place. We, like many people in the crowd, have questions about Jesus. There's things in here that we don't understand that can be confusing. Give us clarity today. Give us wisdom and send your spirit of truth upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
There's a fascinating guy that's come in the public eye, out to the public eye over the last few decades or so, and his name is Elon Musk. If you do not know him or you have not heard of him, you have been living under a rock for the last 10 years. Uh, if you want a little reminder, uh, he's the founder and CEO and chief engineer of SpaceX, investor, CEO, product architect of Tesla, and now owner and CEO of Twitter, and so much more. He's the second wealthiest person in the world, close to $200 billion. I didn't say million, billion dollars, 200 billion at this point. And his controversial statements on politics and technology, in particular on Twitter, have made him a very polarizing figure. He has been criticized for making what they have called unscientific and misleading statements and is known for his controversial views on COVID, the economy, social media, business and leadership models, space exploration, world poverty, and world peace. Elon Musk. The internet and social news, uh, they all love him because he keeps them in business. They're constantly reacting to him. Uh, but personally what I have seen, whether you're a fan of his or whether you're not, whether people see him as a brilliant guy or a fake or just a jerk, the mere mention of his name seems to always bring up some kind of emotion and controversy. Folks either seem to love him or they seem to hate him, meaning the bottom line is few people are neutral about Elon Musk in this day and age. But I'm proposing today, even with all that controversy, within all the ways he's divided people, it doesn't come close to the person of Jesus Christ in history. Think about this. Jesus was and continues to be the most controversial person in the history of the world. If When you think of Jesus, and this is a check for us all, if when you think of Jesus, you think of a meek and nice moral teacher that went around giving all these people comfort and everybody loved him, then you don't know the first thing about Jesus and his life and his ministry. No one, no one in Jesus' day thought that about him. No one thought he was just a nice man. They saw him as confrontational, and they saw him as controversial. They saw him either as the savior of mankind, the Messiah of the world, or a rabbi that was trying to overthrow the religion and even maybe the Roman Empire of his day. Some people saw him as a lunatic. Some people, as we just see today, thought he was demon-possessed. But he was definitely a renegade. He was a force to be reckoned with. But again, when we are confronted with the real Jesus, the Jesus that's talked about in the Bible, you cannot remain neutral. You will either love him dearly or you will want him to go away. Why? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at three points. First point, and these are in the bulletin, we're going to talk about the crowd's perception. What's the crowd's perception of Jesus? Second thing is we're going to talk about the people's questions. Like when he spoke, when he was present, when he confronted them, what, was the, what were their questions? And the last one's going to be the religious verdict. What did the religious people think about him? So let's look at uh, point number one, the crowd's perspective. And we just read that, so I'm not going to read that again. But we see here that Jesus is now in the main temple in Jerusalem. He's not out in the wilderness anymore. There's so much of what we did where he was out uh, in the wilderness or just out in the countryside. 
He is not there anymore. Like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, he's not Kansas anymore. He's at the Emerald City. And that's the center point there in Jerusalem. The story of John has taken us all on a journey from the middle of nowhere with Jesus in very private ways to the crowd outside of Jerusalem. And now he's out in the open in Jerusalem in the middle of politics, in the middle of religion at the time. Jesus is not hiding anymore, as we said before. He's out in the open, and he's teaching like there's no tomorrow. And he's not making any apologies. But when he does, look at the people's reaction. See, the first perception, they said, they were all saying this, we have never heard teaching like this before. This is one of the first things that you see in the Bible, whether it's uh, religious leaders, or the people, the officers that they send after Jesus, or just people in general. They're like, where did this guy come from? Who is this guy? And Jesus' answer is, I'm a messenger from God. Not only that, I'm directly from God. I'm God's son. See, Jesus came in. He astonished the audience in the temple. And these are people that are used to hearing the greatest teachers of all times teach there in the temple. He comes in. He astonishes them with his learning and authority. That, that they said, this couldn't come from, the guy has no formal theological training. This could, where is this coming from? And in response, Jesus reminds them that his teaching did not belong to him alone, but he got this from his father. And he said, those that understand the will of my father, the heart of my father, they're going to understand what I say, and they're going to accept me in the same way that they accept my father. They're going to recognize the truth of my teaching. See, he's saying, this is not second-hand knowledge that you would get from some kind of training. I'm getting this straight from the mind, the heart of God. But look at the second perspective that we have here. After Jesus says this, he says to the crowd, um, you're trying to kill me. And they look out at him and they say, you have a demon. There's something wrong here. They're looking at Jesus Christ and you have a demon, something's wrong. Maybe they thought he had a mental illness of some sort. Maybe they thought he had some kind of voice in your head. It surprised the crowd. They're saying, we don't want to kill you. We love you. And that was correct, for at least for a time. But this crowd also included the Jewish authorities who were actually trying to find a way to silence him and to end his life. But they were so secretive about it. See, they were conspiring behind the scenes. See, but Jesus knew. Jesus understood the heart of man. He had discernment about the crowd and the people around him. And so when he knew that they were conspiring, and they knew at the time he was, that uh, they were angry with him. And that anger was leading them to plotting to kill him. And they would, we know, they will ultimately crucify him. Which leads us to the third perception that you see in this first paragraph here. And that's the one by the religious folks. The idea that Jesus was just out to break all the religious laws. Now we've seen this time and time and time again in John and other Gospels. See, Jesus' practice of healing people on the Sabbath was the object of the religious people's condemnation. In other words, they saw healing on the Sabbath as unnecessary and unlawful at the time. Meaning when he healed on the, on the Sabbath, what Jesus was basically claiming is that the religious people, all the authorities in the day, in the church, the religious people and in the temple, that their interpretation of the law was wrong, and it's always right to, to restore health and to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus was claiming, and don't, don't let this be lost on you, he was claiming that all the laws 
pointed to him, not to obedience, but to him, and that he was the final say of the religious law. And when he did that, that is a role that's only reserved for God himself. And that's what he's claiming. But it gets better. Look at the point number two, the people's question. Some of the people in Jerusalem therefore said, is this not the man, this is verse 25, whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they can't say nothing to him? Can it be the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one's going to know where he came from. So Jesus proclaimed as he talked to the temple, you know me and you know where I came from, but I have not come by my own accord. He who sent me is true, and you do not know him. And him you do not know. And I know him for I come from him, and he sent me. So look at verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed him, and they said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than, than this guy has done? Fascinating passage here. Um, at my daughter's wedding reception, you know, we just came off of my, my daughter's wedding. The DJ played an 80 song I have not heard for a while. I can't believe I heard her wild quote. One time you hear it everywhere you turn around, and it's the 80 song by MC Hammer, You Can't Touch This. Maybe you've heard it, catchy song. If you haven't heard it on the radio, you've heard it. TV ads, Super Bowl commercials, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's, it, it's catchy. Well, the, the, the crowd here in Jerusalem, is trying to figure out why Jesus can't be touched. He's trying to figure out the whole situation. They're, they're totally confused at this point. I mean, think about it. Jesus just said the religious leaders want to kill him. And the crowd knows that the religious leaders have the power and the authority, and they can't have him arrested if they want to. So they're wondering, if the authorities want to capture him, why are they not doing it right now? What is stopping them? They're not even laying a finger on him. It's like they can't touch him. And then you have this radical statement by Jesus. And he's saying, I am from God, the Father, the God above all these things. And I have said this in the past, in a veiled way he's telling them, but now I'm telling you straight up, I am from God. I'm directly descended from God. And when he says this, the place erupts. The statement that Jesus made is not lost on the people to whom Jesus taught in the temple. And they already speculated that he might be the Christ, that is the Messiah. There's a rumor going around, and speculation was fueled by the fact that the religious leaders who were supposed to arrest and oppose false teachers and false messiahs and throw them out of Jerusalem would get rid of them. But they, and so they could not believe he was the Messiah, mainly because they knew where he came from and Mary and Joseph from Galilee. Here's what we're saying. First of all, two things. They're trying to figure out, listen, if the religious leaders really thought he was a false messiah, this is easy. We see it all the time. There were false messiahs that came around all the time and, and they would come out, arrest them, end the story. And they're like, why are they not doing this? The second thing is, this is a local guy. And we've seen this before. This is Jesus. Uh, he was born of Joseph and Mary, Nazareth. So this doesn't make sense. See, there's a popular belief at the time that when the Messiah came, he would kind of pop on the scene out of nowhere. And nobody would know where he was from. He would come from obscurity. And, and no one would have ever known him before. Uh, but since they knew his background, they said, he can't be the Messiah. 
Again, so much confusion here. Now immediately, when Jesus says this, it parts the waters. People are divided at this point. Whether he is the prophet, the Messiah, or something else. And they found his words so disturbing that they wanted to arrest him. People that didn't want to arrest him before are now wanting to arrest him. But the temple, officer, uh, temple officers, which are basically the church police around the temple, to protect and secure the temple, they could not bring themselves to do it. They saw him as someone with authority, and they were afraid to take him in custody, which means to, leads to more, more questions by the uh, crowd. They said, if they really wanted to kill him, is it because he's a fake, or is he that big of a threat that the officers themselves will not take him into custody? Which is a question we have to ask ourselves at some point. See, these things that we've seen today leave us sometimes with perplexing questions about who Jesus is. And we really have to begin to understand that it's not just about the crowd and the religious authorities. It's about us. Like When Jesus confronts us, and he does confront us with truth, we have to say, is he irrelevant to us? Is he just kind of a fake? Is he really who he says he is? Or is he a threat to me? Like, do I get defensive about my life? When he says certain things or when I see what he's trying to do in my life, again, you can't remain neutral about Jesus. The person of Jesus, who he is and what he's about, can leave us perplexed with questions. But like his father, he's not asking us to have all the answers about it. He's asking us to simply just trust him. Which brings us to the last point, the religious verdict. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things, and the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And then Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me. You will not find me. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And the Jews said to each other, where does this man intend to go that we can't find him? See, all this proved way too much for the religious authorities. They had had enough. And so they sent the officers, the temple guard, to arrest him. But here's the thing. They couldn't run the risk at this point of the crowd declaring him the Messiah because they knew what was about to happen. When if the Roman government, if the Roman military heard that, that, that there's a Messiah, a Savior that these people believed on the scene, they would come down on the religious leaders and, and invade the temple. So they knew that they couldn't do that because the Romans were very, very worried about this kind of claim that somebody would claim king and messiah because it often ended in outright revolt. It happened a lot before the New Testament and it was even happening during that time. But here's the thing, the people loved him. And the authorities knew that if they arrest him in front of everybody, they're going to have a different kind of revolt on their hands. And here's the thing, Jesus would eventually be handed over to the authorities and killed. But see, in the midst of the chaos, like Jesus always does, he had control. He had already planned his great escape from rising from the dead on the third day in his resurrection and returning to his heavenly father. But the people had no idea what he was talking about. They couldn't fathom that he was planning returning to his Father in heaven because they didn't realize that at this point that he was no mere man. He was God in the flesh. And if they understood that, it would answer so many questions for them. And he had already planned his departure. Now this is a lot to take in today. But let me kind of close with this. Look at our quote um, in our 
order of worship today as possible. C.S. Lewis is from a book, Mere Christianity. If you only know C.S. Lewis from Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe and the Narnia series, he wrote so much more than that. And I would say almost better stuff than that. But anyway, look at this quote that he said. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or on a level with a man who said, I'm a poached egg. Or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. This is what we're confronted with. So here's something we all need to consider today in closing. When confronted with the words and the person and the life of Jesus, are you going to try to remain neutral? Are you just going to keep coasting the way you are? Are you going to try to just say, you know, these are all good words uh, and I, I like them, but I'm going to keep doing kind of the same thing. Or these really don't matter to me. I'm a believer, so that, that's fine. This is for other people in the room. Are you going to try to remain neutral? You can believe him or you can reject him, but there is no middle ground. You can't just cozy up to Jesus. Some will believe and some will refuse to confess him as Savior. Even more so, it places a division in our hearts so many times. What are we going to do with Jesus? We're confronted with things that we know we want to do that we know maybe they're not right. What are we going to do with Jesus? Or maybe we're at the point in our life where we would have control of all these things. But Jesus is saying, let me have control. Again, what are we going to do with Jesus? Jesus himself invites us to trust him as the Savior of our lives. See, and there's great freedom in this. I mean, think about it. If Jesus is king and he's king over your life, you don't have to be. You don't have to try to rule your life or be in control of it all the time. You can trust him and know that he's good and he's loving. You don't have to multitask. You don't have to be on the treadmill of life. You don't have to micromanage your life all the time to try to fix the things that act like and feel like you've got your stuff all together. You don't have to find your own meaning and purpose anymore. If Jesus is who he really says he is, and he's the hero of the story, you don't have to be the hero of the story. And there's great freedom with that. It releases a lot of stress off us, but you can't have it both ways. This is an invitation today to let go of control and let go of problems and situations in your life and trust God to take care of it. This is an invite to a deep and loving relationship, not religious uh, rigidity. This is a call to intimacy and friendship with God. It's a call to, to share in his family and share on the mission that he has for us all to love God and love people and to love life. This is an invitation that we must respond to, but it's also an invitation to the table today as we come to the table at communion and be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done for us so that we don't have to do it ourselves anymore. Let's pray. Father God, we all have this facade that we're in control of our life. We all have this um, idea that we can fix all our problems. But the older that we get, the more we realize that's just not true. And the faster we give that up, the more freedom we're going to have. And the easier life will be. Not because life is easy, but trying to manage and control the chaos just leaves us spent 
anxious and worried all the time. Whether it's about money or status or the people around us or trying to fix our problems or the people's problems around us, Lord, help us to look to you as the only answer to that. That's what you're calling us to. You just trust that your work is enough and that we can turn to you as a good father. Help us to remember that today as we go into this communion time. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.